You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Good morning, everyone. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on a preview podcast of Sixers vs. Celtics. We will be releasing this on Monday morning, the day of Game 1 of the second round series against the Boston Celtics. How you doing, Rich? Happy that we finally know who the Sixers are playing, man. It, uh, it, there was a few days there where I was at Sixers practice, and for the hottest team in the NBA, there was nothing really to talk about. No, no, it really is. And every day it's like, so Brett, how are you preparing? And he's like, ah, you know, we're working over some things, using this time wisely. And it's like, there's it's there's only so much, and that's probably not true. If there's any team that probably needed this kind of layoff, it was probably the Sixers, if for no other reason than to reintegrate Joel and beat back. And, and this is a guy, you know, this team doesn't really practice. We've been saying this for months now. And with the three-week layoff to get him back and to get the chance to, you know, reintegrate him into maybe team concepts, it was good. You, it would have been better use if you knew who you were playing. But you at least, I mean, you had a pretty decent idea. Well, you had, a, had it down to two teams, so that's good. That's good. All right, let's, uh, the more I look at this series, and really the more I look at the Eastern Conference, the more I come to the conclusion that the Sixers are simply the better, more talented team. Talk me out of that. Well, I, I can't because they are. Uh, it, <laughs> the uh, I, I had the same thought looking at this series. To me, for for the second straight series, it's going to be about the Sixers. the uh, The Boston Celtics, as constituted, and that means with no Kyrie Irving and no Gordon Hayward, for the most part, they have. Some other players who were out, but those two specifically. And with with Jalen Brown now doubtful for game one. Yeah. They do not have as much talent as the Sixers. They, uh, I believe, I I don't have this in front of me, but yeah, I believe they had a better point differential. They definitely had a better point differential after the Celtics lost Kyrie. He was such a huge part of that team. And yeah, it just feels like, the same thing as Miami, the Sixers are the better team here. They should win. And this will be the last series that will happen because Toronto or Cleveland, I, I, I can't say that. That will be a, a more traditional, you know, two teams going head-to-head against each other. But, yeah, they are more talented. And, I, you know, there are some things that they're going to face here. Boston has the home court. Brad Stevens is an Awesome coach. Boston has the top-ranked defense in the NBA, and losing Kyrie doesn't hurt in that department, at least. They are – you can look at this either way. The the Sixers have rest, but the Celtics, they're in a rhythm after after a tough series against the Bucs. It is kind of crazy how 48 hours later they they just got done taking Giannis' best shot and and the Sixers come in to – to play them. So, yeah, the Celtics to me are a slightly better version of the Heat. I don't think they will be uh, as dirty as, as the Heat. It'll be a physical series, but not to the level where that's all we're talking about. 
But in the end, I don't believe this team can score enough to beat the Sixers. No, I don't. And what's really interesting, I started looking at the Boston numbers since Kyrie went down, which is at the exact same time frame that the Sixers started their 16-game winning streak back in mid-March. And what's interesting is since then they were, toward, you know, from their last, uh, I think, 15 games of the regular season for Boston, they had the seventh-ranked defense, which is good, but it's nowhere near what they were up to that point through the season. And it doesn't necessarily align with what I would expect because I think Terry Rozier is a much better defender than Kyrie Irving. And I wonder how many of those games Marcus Smart missed. Maybe that factors into it. But they didn't quite have the same crispness in their defensive rotations in their execution that they had throughout much of the season. I also wonder, you know, how much of that they really, you know, really mattered. Like, I think at that point they were pretty well locked into that two seed. So maybe they weren't playing quite as, you know, locked in day-to-day as they were before. But if that defense isn't functioning at an elite level, and not a good level, not a 7-10 to in the NBA-type level, but at, at an elite level, I just don't see how this Boston team, as currently healthy, is going to score consistently against the Sixers. Not, I don't see it at all, quite frankly. And they're coming off a series where, they basically won because they were a better organization. Because they're not idiots, yeah. Yeah, and their coach knows what they're doing, unlike the Bucks, Their their players function together, and, and they seem to get the most out of their talent. The, so the problem for them is, is a, there the a Sixers... Team with, look, Milwaukee, is there a team that maybe disregards analytic principles as much as Milwaukee? Which is funny, because they're a really high, a formerly high-profile member of the media uh, that currently works for them that you would think. But just watching them play and the shots they give up and the shots they take, oh, they are frustrating. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and that is why they were able to win that series. And and i got to be honest, the Celtics, I, I was happy that they won that series. To me, they deserve that. They have battled injury luck all year, and they, they, they just understand what to do. Even though the Bucks have that superstar, they – they played together, and they won that series. Here's their problem. The Sixers, more talent than, than the Bucks. They, uh, Giannis, if you want to say he's better than Embiid and Simmons, I think that's fair. He's not better than both of them combined. Uh, the Sixers' role players, not only are they more talented and there's more of them, they fit together better. They have a coach who understands what they're doing. So for Boston, this is going to be a major step up in competition. The uh, To me, the key is – and it, Kyle was asking uh, some good questions to Brett today and I think to, to Redick. Can you take anything from this season series considering how different the teams are? Yeah. Because the Sixers had this weird thing where pretty much all of the elite teams in the NBA, that would be Boston, Toronto, and, and those two are in their division, so that's four games each. And then uh, Golden State and Houston, they were done with those teams by Martin Luther King Day. It, it was – everybody talks about the uh, the cream puff schedule they had on the ride in. Well, that's because they were playing these teams all the time at the beginning of the year. Yep. But you go back to some of those old games. First off, Kyrie is playing in, in three of them. The, the Sixers are playing Jared Bayless in some of those games. It's just a totally different team. Right. So Jared Bayless ain't walking through that door. Thank God. No, he's going to be laying 
on the uh, on the hardwood. It, he's going to be uh, on that spot no matter uh, how uh, how big the score gets uh, or if the Sixers can pull ahead or, or be behind. But yeah, it's it, it happened such a long time ago, and I, I think there are things that you can look at. One key thing to me, Joel Embiid might be the bellwether, in my opinion, for this series because they guarded him pretty well. I, I don't have the uh, exact numbers on it, but he, uh, the last game in Boston, yeah. he was dominant. But he had like 26, 16, and 6 or something absurd like that. But but the first three games, whether it was Baines or – Two games. Or, he, missed, he missed one. Oh, he missed one of them. So Baines or Horford, they played them – he probably as well as, as I've seen. I remember after, I think it was the second game of the year, Joel was just frustrated, and he was yep. saying, I, I need to get more more touches on the block. And I, he, he basically, he you could just tell, I, I, have not, I have not usually seen him get this frustrated. So combine that with how rusty he looked offensively for large stretches of those three games. And getting him back on track is going to be a big deal. It uh, It'll provide a great test for him. Because guess what? As they progress further in the playoffs, they're going to need him to be Joel Embiid on both sides of the floor. Yeah, Boston does a really good job of of defending Embiid early in the shot clock and preventing him from getting those spots. But also their guards just relentlessly dig down. And when Joel Embiid's not, you know, quote-unquote quarterbacking the gym, and if if that phrase means nothing to you, go search for Rich's, uh, Rich's article on Brett, or on Brett Sayings, Brett Brown Sayings. But when Joel Embiid's not quarterbacking the gym well, that can really like they can really force him into some turnovers, and I think I think Boston on the four games against Boston, the Sixers have a twenty percent turnover rate. Which to put that in perspective, the the worst non Sixers team in the regular season had about a fifteen and a half percent turnover rate. <laughs> so they really turned the ball over in those four games, including in that one time that they won. You know, you go back to that game in London, turnovers were a big part of that. So was missing shots in the second half, but turnovers were a big part in the Sixers' losses. So that's going to be. A big deal, and a lot of that does come from how they defend Joel Embiid, how Joel Embiid will react to that kind of pressure and those kind of double teams, and not even really hard double teams, because a lot of times they'll dig and recover, and Joel Embiid's got to figure that out. And But if they do that, if the Sixers don't shoot themselves in the foot, if the Sixers end up with more shot attempts than the Boston Celtics, it really does seem like this should be a a, a pretty, I don't want to say an easy one. I think right now I'm still trying to figure out what my... Uh, what my prediction is, I think I'm probably feeling Sixers and Six. And that should be a they, – they really should win this series, Rich. It, it boggles my mind that we're sitting here saying that. But if they lose this series, I think you have a right to be a, pretty disappointed. Yeah. Boston, 18th-ranked offense. And yeah. and that it's, – it's just and like it, Miami where I, I don't think, especially without Kyrie, who is a really valuable playoff player, I, I think he – he almost is. A, he's a little underrated by just looking at, at some of his advanced numbers because in the playoffs, when the when the game slows down and isolation scoring becomes such a big deal, he rises to the occasion. Replacing him with Rozier, who on a you know he he absolutely destroyed Eric Bledsoe last series. Uh, from Eric Bledsoe not knowing who he was, which was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> To, but but now he does know who he is. And I, uh, Bledsoe's one of those sneaky, bad off-ball defenders, too. Like, you put him through a couple of screens, he has no idea where he is. None. Yeah, and and you mentioned this earlier. This is something that, that I'm going to be looking at. Jalen Brown, that is a huge deal. Yep. Yep. 
because hit when you have him and Tatum on the wings, that's a really good wing combo. Who uh, they run a lot of offense through. And then who who would you replace Brown Brown with? I guess Marcus Smart would get more minutes. Then uh, he's coming back off an injury as well. It just it, it does not feel. It, it's kind of amazing the Celtics are even here to be honest. Well, if they weren't if they weren't playing the Milwaukee Bucks and whoever the hell that coach is, I'm not sure they would be. Yeah, you had a good point. You you'd know who he was three weeks ago. That is a that is a pretty big coaching discrepancy between Brad Stevens and Milwaukee. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. They recently Boston recently switched to a small lineup with Horford at center and uh, Shemi Ojale starting, giving them pre three three pretty good wing defenders, uh, which I think would be beneficial for them in this series. In being able to switch, especially you know if Brown comes back with Tatum and Shemi and 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 uh, and Brown, but in order to do that, Al Horford has to be able to contain Joel Embiid, and they have to be able to do that without doubling constantly because that takes away a lot of the uh, a lot of the benefits of a switching scheme. The whole the po- whole point of switching is so you don't have to get in defensive rotations. So I think if they have to get to the point where they're doing more than just digging and scraping and they're they're really sending a hard double then that's when that becomes, you know, you have to go back to those two big lineups and keep Baines in there. And I think that's why that, that last game the Sixers had against Boston where Embiid did dominate like that. I think that might stick in their head a little bit. It'll be real interesting, especially if Brown doesn't go, but also when Brown comes back, uh, what Brad Stevens tends to go with. Because Embiid kind of is that X factor uh, and maybe takes them out of what they would ideally want to do. Think about Boston's offense, though, if they have to play Baines heavy minutes. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. No, nope. it's it, letting Embiid play free safety at that level and just not worry about the guy he's guarding. That could make things really tight for Rozier and Tatum. Well, I, I thought Sean O'Connor mentioned this on Twitter. That he had a pretty good point. Uh, Embiid might be able to play free safety on defense if Marcus Smart is in too. You could see a seven-two oh. Embiid defending Marcus Smart, and that would just that would just tickle me pink. That would be hysterical. That would be the uh, the Warriors a couple years ago. I think they played on uh, Roberson. Was it, was it was it Bogut on? It was they might have done it against Roberson. They definitely did it against Tony Allen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and yeah, Marcus Smart is uh, all the helping that the Sixers did off uh, Justice Winslow. I, I think you're going to see Ben Simmons guarding Marcus Smart a lot. <laughs> and, and when I mean guarding, I, I, I don't like like not standing near him at all. Uh, yeah, you just you just look at these these guys. I, I remember Shane Larkin played well in a couple of those games where uh, where the Sixers lost in early. But I, if Shane Larkin is your your backup point guard, I I don't really see much of an advantage over the Sixers' poor backup point guard rotation there so i they should win this series man. <laughs> Do you, uh, we'll get into that later you know obviously one of the the other big wild cards in this series is terry rogier because he just wasn't getting that consistent of minutes earlier in the season when the sixers would have faced him or at least not in the, the same capacity it would have been like a, a 20 minute per game bench roll he's been real up and down in these playoffs like real up and down he'll have a, an incredible um, you know, 26.9 assists game seven, and then he'll have a two for seven game three. And which one, you know, those middle games, two for seven, three for 12, four for 10, five for 17. 
when he's playing like that, Boston just doesn't have the firepower. They they're between you know Hayward and Irving, and now you've got um, Rozier playing like that. But he does also have the capability of twenty three points game one, twenty three game two, twenty six game four. So how they defend him, how they defend that pick and roll, who they put on him, I guess what probably Cubs starts off on him. Yeah, I would guess He'd so. Probably hide JJ on Shemi and uh, assuming they uh they they go with that and then put uh put Simmons on on Brown or Tatum depending again on who uh actually it's interesting who who is Dario guard. That'll be interesting when Brown comes back. But right now you probably figure Cove on, on on Rogier just because I think Cove's right now a little better of a pick and roll defender uh, when you do want to fight over those screens. It'll be interesting though. It'll be interesting though that, cuz that is a, definitely a, an X factor. I have to go back and look at some of the the matchup data on NBA.com and see who was a primary Rogier defender. Not that I'm sure that necessarily carries over, but he is kind of the one wild card just because he's in a completely different role. He is capable of getting hot, even if not consistently. And I think if they're going to get, first of all, they're going to need his individual scoring, but if they're going to get open three point looks against this defense, I think he's going to have to get in the paint off of that pick and roll and really create those open shots for Shemi and Brown and Tatum. Yeah. And those three good games you mentioned, all three of those were at home. He uh, he put up uh, – one of the games is okay, but two of those stinkers you mentioned on the road, and obviously he's coming off a series in which the home team won every game. The uh, I think that is one way they're going to try and exploit the Sixers. Play with that smaller lineup offensively, so that means just Horford in the middle. Try and pull Embiid out. A lot of Horford. They're going to need Horford to be hitting those pick-and-pop threes at, at a really high rate. To, uh, to score the Sixers. But, yeah, it just comes da- down to h- how does Al hold up against Embiid one-on-one? Does I mean, you, you talked about JoJo quarterbacking the gym. Can the Celtics ha- coerce one of those games where he's throwing the ball into the sixth row and just looks like he's never seen a double team? I, I don't know. It's It'll be interesting to see. You know, I – I think somebody somebody mentioned that his peripheral vision might not be as good with that mask that he's wearing. Right. Uh, and it, it's funny to watch him, uh, just watching him at practice the last couple of days. I'm not sure, you know, we, we don't get to see him run up and down the floor. And maybe he's, he's if he is practicing in 5-on-5 five five at all, he is using that mask. He, he doesn't like shooting with that mask in uh, in, after practice and, and before the games and pregame warm-ups, which – I don't know. I kind of think he should to try and try and get used to it. But uh, yeah, it, to me, it comes down to Embiid. We'll definitely see Ojale on Simmons. Uh, he guarded Giannis pretty much exclusively when uh, when he was in the game. Giannis still had a great series, but like we said, the Bucks are just idiots. Besides, uh, <laughs> besides what he's able to do, it's uh, it, it's gonna be fun. I mean, it's winning in Boston. It's gonna be a tough building. It's it's very similar, I think, to to trying to win in Philly. Uh, that's going to be a, a fired up crowd. Obviously, there's the uh, there's the historical aspect of the rivalry, which I don't think matters to the players as much. But anytime Boston and Philly, I'm sure, I'm sure there's like going to be a lot of Patriots fans there still pissed off about the Super Bowl. Uh, Are you telling me that Ben Simmons doesn't care about the '80s, you know, Irving versus Bird matchups? The the amount of times on Twitter. People just tweet out the uh, the picture, picture yeah. of uh, Dr. J and Larry Bird choking each other out. It's uh, we, we get it, guys. They, they it, it was a pretty good rivalry back then. You know, I heard uh, this from Ray Dinger on the radio today, but did they not get ejected in that game for that? 
I don't think they got ejected in that game. At least that's what Ray says. I have to go back and check. That's mind-boggling. In today's NBA, a slap on the back of the head, you're like, wow, how did he not get ejected? And rightfully so, because you know recent precedent says he should have been. But to actually get your hands around somebody's neck and choke them, and you go back out and continue playing, completely different sport. I, I could be wrong about this, but that was a preseason game, right? I, I truthfully don't know. I think it was a preseason game, and it, they might have played three times in the preseason. That was the way it worked back then. I thought I remember Danny Ainge getting interviewed and him saying, yeah, of course there was a, there was going to be a fight at some point. You know, why, why were we playing our main rivals three times in the preseason? <laughs> the, the, the other thing I remember, too, was Barkley kind of held, uh, held Bird up for, uh, for Doc to take some swings at there. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. The uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fun had on uh, had on Twitter this series. I know uh, I know Max is already digging in. I'm sure Spike's going to have some fun with uh, with Bill Simmons. I mean Kyle too. <laughs> Kyle too. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's kind of a bummer, man. I I would love to see the Celtics play the Sixers. A full strength team with Kyrie and Hayward. Oh, we've got we've got the next five years for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be stunned if we don't see this matchup at least once in the next two years. Yeah. Yep. Especially, well, I mean, a lot of that's going to depend on where LeBron goes. But I mean, where could he go that would be a better team than the Sixers or the the, the Celtics? I really think these are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, depending on what happens and how quickly it happens with Toronto. But um, healthy, I don't, I don't, I don't see much, much difference. It is kind of, you know, I missed, I was born in 82, so I missed Sixers, Celtics, heyday, you know, by a couple of years. I remember getting in the, in the NBA basketball. I vaguely remember like the very tail end of Doc back when he was having that, you know, um, kind of end of career tour. And I really got into it just after that with, with Barkley. So I just missed it. But it does feel like a lot of people that are into basketball, into Sixers basketball right now, probably don't have that kind of reference point. But truth be told, I don't think you really need to for this rivalry. Not so much Sixers-Celtics, but Philadelphia-Boston. With how much winning Boston has done over the last 20 years, the two Super Bowls between those two franchises, even Red Sox fans coming down here, at the early part of the Sixers or of the Phillies run and, you know, taking over Citizens Bank Park in really annoying ways as a, I was a season ticket holder back then starting in 06. So they I remember the, that. Vividly. They were the first ones to do that. Oh, and they, I, it, every time too, it was very annoying. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, the, the, the Philadelphia, the Phillies fans started doing that once the Phillies got good too, but yeah, Red Sox nation. They traveled. They, they traveled. They, they were good, so yeah, it should be it should be fun. Obviously, there was that uh, that 2012 series, which was terrible basketball, but could be a reference point for uh, for some of the fans here. It, uh, but my friend put this a good way uh, the other day because because he was reminiscing on that 2012 series. He said, oh, "God, it's so good to have a have a team that you know can advance." In the playoffs, because I, I remember those games were close. They were uh, they were all rock fights, though, and the Sixers were just playing gross basketball. It was just ISO, Doug Collins, Iguodala step backs, Lou Will bullshit threes. Uh, yep. 
the, the Sixers have come back in a much better place. And the Celtics, too, obviously they don't have all of their big guns. But for, for these two teams, I, I think that the first year that the Sixers tanked when they got Embiid, the Celtics were a uh, – they were only a couple slots behind them yep. in the lottery, right? Yep. Yeah, and for those two teams to – in, in two different ways, the Celtics weren't uh, weren't as bad for a couple of years, and I'm sure Bill Simmons and all of their fans will will take the moral high ground on that uh, on that front. The uh, for these two teams to rebound in in this short amount of time in, in slightly different ways, it's uh, it's impressive. But Rich, the Sixers have been tanking for eight years. What do you mean a short amount of time? <laughs> no, it's. Yeah. it's the, the way these two teams went about it, and look, obviously Boston had a completely different starting point than the Sixers had, and you can't ever, you can't ever forget that. Not with those two Godfather trades that uh, Danny Ainge was able to make. So they were able to, and look, if you would have asked people in the, I, I've talked to people in the Celtics front office, if they didn't have those draft picks in the pipeline, they probably approach their rebuild differently and go go about it in a much more Sixers-y's way. I don't think this is a moral high ground at all, as much as it is vastly different positions. Like, they didn't need the tank to get those Brooklyn picks. They were getting them anyway. So for these two teams to go about it in the different ways that they did and end up at this point, look, this isn't anywhere near the end, end goal for either of these two teams. The Sixers obviously can go out, can sign Paul George, who's now no longer playoff P., can sign LeBron James. Can get he's off season. <laughs> right. Can get a uh, can get Markel Fultz back to where they think he can be. Can you know still have a top ten pick barely. Uh, have so many different ways to improve. And then the Celtics have ways to improve that are already on their bench in, in, in Kyrie and Hayward. For these two teams to still have so much more equity in terms of how they can improve and be at this point. Granted, with some luck and some some inc- borderline incompetence by the Bucks. It is exciting for the future. It is a rivalry that I think – I hate it when people say the NBA needs you know, the Knicks to be good or the NBA needs this rivalry. But I do think these two cities thrive on this rivalry, and I think it will be good for, for these two cities, Philadelphia, Boston, and for the NBA at large. And it's exciting because, like you said, you feel like this team should win. I even feel like if they go to the next round and play Toronto – we're talking about a coin flip. I think the six you could I think the Sixers, you can make a case the Sixers are more talented top to bottom than the Raptors. I might still call it a coin flip because Toronto has a lot more experience, not necessarily good playoff experience, but still more experience. But the fact that we're I mean, Vegas has them as the odds on favorite to make it out of the Eastern Conference. So you should feel confident coming into this series against the overmatched Boston Celtics. You should be excited about what the next few weeks have to come. And it's just happened in a blink of an eye, man. This I, I'll keep saying it. This was a fourteen and eighteen basketball team four months ago. Yeah, and like you said, the NBA it doesn't need anything except superstar players and preferably NBA. as many as you can have in one city too. Which is oh, by the way, why uh why tanking will always be a valid response. But it, yeah, and, and over the last couple of years, the big rivalry has been. Golden State and Cleveland, two places that have no history with each other, and then there's yeah, Golden State and Oklahoma City, which th- th- there's no no history there either. For Embiid and Simmons to play against perhaps Kyrie and Hayward, 
and, and Stevens and, and Tatum and who, whoever else the Celtics get to bring the, the, the new wave of, of fun players into what was a historical rivalry. I think that'll be really cool for the NBA. And yeah, this is, this kind of feel, this feels like round one and it, it's, I, I'm definitely excited to get up to Boston. This, uh, I'm sure the atmosphere tomorrow night is going to be great. And yeah, it's, it, while it's not as good as as it could have been, this, the, the, everything surrounding this series should be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, as we're doing this podcast, we, we you know, for the last week, when we knew the Sixers were advancing, it's it's been a, a constant debate in our head who you would rather have. And as much as I like watching Giannis play, this this very much does feel right. All right, let's get to the end of it here. We want to keep this podcast short. Give us your prediction. So, like you said earlier, I'm vacillating between one of two options. Sixers in six or Sixers in five. Uh, I'm going to say six. I'm going to say six. Go ahead. Mostly because of the home court. To me, it plays out the Sixers and the Celtics. They split the first two games in Boston, perhaps the game that – that the Sixers win is a little more convincing, but maybe maybe the game two is the, the rosier game and Al Horford's hitting his shots. To me, the games in Philly should be pretty convincing Sixers wins, though. So give the Sixers the next two. Maybe the Celtics, they uh, they dig deep and get one last one for their fans. They, they send them off well, and then they get their ass kicked in Philadelphia in game six. Yeah. And uh, the Sixers... Uh, well, I mean, we'll see at that point. Uh, by the way, how about the uh, the schedule for this series? Uh, six yeah. o'clock game on Monday night. Well, not only that, but then you got two days off while you're sitting up there in Boston. And then when you have to travel, you only have one day off. Very, very strange schedule overall. Yeah, the uh, the Bruins and, and their building availability really screwed with them here. Yeah, I don't understand why though. I guess just because of LeBron, why Sixers Celtics wouldn't get the eight thirty slot instead of Raptors Cavs. I don't know, but uh, yeah. But I'm gonna say Sixers in a pretty convincing six games. Yeah, that that's where I'm going to. I think talent wise, it should be Sixers in five. And I I always kind of fight this urge right of overrating the team that you cover. And not even because of like a fan thing, but because you see them so often that it's natural. You know, it's kind of like you overvalue, if you're a a GM, you overvalue what you have. So, like, if I ever sound like overly negative, it's probably because I'm resisting that urge. And right now, I think if I was an outside analyst, if I was Zach Lowe, I would probably say Sixers and Five because I think they're pretty significantly the better team. But I feel like that might be a little bit of the... You know, I'm around this team constantly, so I'm buying into that. So I'm going to say Sixers and Six, which really means that right now, since I've said both Five and Six, I'm hedging my bets. So that gives me two options to be right. But no, I I, I think I think they bring it back and, and win it at, at the Wells Fargo Center, not the center. As I write in my columns all the time, the, the Farg, Farg yeah. which I only put in because I realized how much it pisses people off. <laughs> I, I'll write an otherwise really good piece for my standards and I know that because most of the comments are are really nice and and nice piece but then there are about 5 of them 
where people are saying, what the fuck, the Farg? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to keep writing that in there. The, uh, I, I think the That's last a hockey thing, thing, right? Is that a Flyers I, thing? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, some some guys on, on Flyers Twitter might have started. I, I think it's hilarious how stupid it is. But uh, the, I think the last I just, thing – I just can't do the center because the Sixers CEO wants to do that for really ridiculous reasons. So that's yeah. why I can't call it that. The, uh, the last thing I'll say about this, I really like the Celtics organization. Uh, unlike a lot of the people on uh, on Sixers Twitter, my friends, yeah. uh, I respect the hell out of Ainge, Stevens, Irving. It just it just seems like they do a lot of the things that I value the way they go about things. Yeah, uh, right there with you. I mean, Stevens is an incredible coach. Ainge has proven his medal as a GM. And as much as you know, back in the Kelly Olynyk over Giannis days, we used to. You say, yeah, but they can't really draft. Most of my major draft misses lately have gone to Boston. Um, guys, you know, Tatum, I don't think I was – I think if you looked at my big board, it probably came off like I was lower on him than I was. I just – I didn't particularly like the fit. I probably had him like five or six in terms of pure talent, but even that was drastically lower than he should have been. Uh, Brown was a, a huge miss of mine. So they've certainly earned my respect in terms Rozier. of – Rozier. Rozier, too. I wasn't huge on him. Um They've definitely earned my respect on guys that I didn't think would make it, and they saw what I didn't see. Uh, and, you know, clearly the trades were – I mean, yeah, I get you're picking on Billy King a little bit, but they're still masterful trades. <laughs> they have, they've they've made a lot of right moves. And, I mean, to Brad Stevens hire, you know, I think that's kind of almost the overlooked aspect of Hinky's reign is the Brett Brown hire and getting that coach right, especially for a young rebuilding team when it's maybe – you know, you can't go out and hire the established coaches to come in and coach the Boston Celtics from 2013. You can't hire the established coaches to come in the Sixers in 2013. But you still have to nail that coaching hire. And doing your due diligence, doing your research, and getting that young, unproven head coach to lead your franchise in that crucial time is is really important and really difficult. And both the Sixers and the Celtics nailed it. I'm right there with you. I, 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 I dislike Boston more as a sporting fan base than I dislike yeah. the organization of the Boston Celtics. That's a good way to put it. And to, to lure Stevens initially, like you said, was really impressive because I, I remember looking at it and thinking that he was going to be the logical su- successor for Krzyzewski at Duke. I, that that was the only job he was going to leave Butler for. So, so to get him and, and take over a rebuilding team, now it, it obviously helps that you have – that history and mystique, and I think they gave him a five-year deal to begin with. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, they absolutely nailed that coaching. Out. I, th- I think what I heard from talking to people around the league, and I, did, I, I was in the same boat as you at the time, apparently Brad Stevens really hated the recruiting process. Like, all he wanted to do was come in, coach basketball, and, and do that every day. And he found yeah. it's much more dealing with, you know, playing – 18-year-old kids dealing with their families, dealing with their entourage, dealing with their quote-unquote handlers. And I don't think he necessarily liked that aspect, especially as a mid-major in college basketball, to go out there and have to go on the recruiting trail constantly. I think he just wanted to coach. And maybe the NBA, besides, you know, doing it at the highest level, also gave him the benefit of, of focusing on just coaching a little bit more, which is I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize because I think they, they think of coaching in the NBA as dealing with egos, which it absolutely it is. is. But there's a lot you got to deal with as a college coach as well that maybe he wasn't the biggest fan of. 
Yeah, and that's a desirable trait too for for a coach who doesn't have his sights set on player acquisition and the the yep. guy who sits in or who wears both hats, which as we see in time and time again, <laughs> Stan Van Gundy uh, just doesn't seem to work in the NBA. Yeah, nope. And why guys like Patino and and Coach K or um, Cal are, are are better college coaches too because they can't handle that very well. All right, but anyway, we don't need to get in the uh, long coaching discussion. Thanks for jumping on, Rich. I'll see you up in Boston and uh, have a good one. And we'll we'll try to get probably one of these at some point after. You know, it would be nice to do one after game two. That that would be a good problem sample is there's size. No turnaround in there. Maybe we could do one on the road on the way back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're going to be driving back. We we could record a podcast there. Sounds like a that sounds like a catastrophe. But we'll, who knows? Who knows? Not <laughs> saying yes, but I'm not saying no. All right. All right, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Stitcher's Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.